A reading from the Wisdom of Job, chapter 17. My spirit is broken, my days extinguished, the grave mine. Surely mockers are with me, and my eye looks on their rebellion. Take my guarantee, who else is willing to make an agreement? We've closed their minds to insight, therefore you won't be exalted. They denounce his friends for gain, and their children's eyes fail. They make me a popular proverb, I'm like spit in people's face. My eye is weak from grief, my limbs like a shadow, all of them. Those who do the right thing are amazed at this. The guiltless become troubled about the godless. The innocent clings to their way. The one whose hands are clean grows stronger. But you can bring all of them again, and I won't find a wise one among you. My days have passed, my goals are destroyed, my heart's desires. They turn night into day, light is near because of the darkness. If I hope for the death as my dwelling, lay out my bed in darkness. I've called corruption my father, the worm my mother and sister. Where then is my hope? My hope? Who can see it? Will they go down with me to death? Will we descend together to the dust? A reading from the sacred poetry of hope and despair. Thanks be to God. Where is the hope as we wait? Oh, mm -hmm. 
A while back, Claire and I had the opportunity to wander for a while through a museum whose sole focus was on freedom of the press. It was playfully called the Museum. They had exhibits on just about every news-related story you could imagine, on every leap forward and every boundary crossed. But among those exhibits, there's this one that I'm never going to forget. After a long day of walking, I rounded a corner to find myself in the midst of an installment on Pulitzer Prize-winning photographs. It was this dimly lit, round gallery, inviting its guests to walk through a timeline of prize-winning photographs, starting in 1942 and ending in the present. This large, embossed quote from Eddie Adams decorated the entrance wall. It said, if it makes you laugh, if it makes you cry, if it rips out your heart, that's a good picture. Now, anyone who's ever been to a museum, especially a large one, knows that there are some sections you just have to walk briskly through, skimming the surface and pausing every now and then. But this exhibit was different. This exhibit demanded that I stop and be still in reverence. It demanded that I pay a kind of homage to the vast spectrum of human joy and suffering hung on the walls around me. In some photographs, I saw scenes that just radiated with hope and heroism. One featured this large 18-wheeler sliding off of a bridge while ordinary men and women gathered around it to pull the desperate driver up to safety. It was incredible. There were lovers jumping into each other's arms after what must have been ages apart. There were Olympians ablaze with glory after performing feats that previously would have been considered superhuman. But then each of these photographs had its opposite, the reverse side of those same coins. I wasn't prepared for some of those. I wasn't prepared to see Vietnamese children naked, stumbling away from their village, screaming because of the napalm burning their skin. I wasn't prepared to see Albanian parents desperately passing a frightened infant the same age that my son was through a barbed wire fence trying to flee a war in Kosovo. I wasn't prepared to see the fear on the faces of men and women with guns to their head, their lives ending only a few moments after the photograph was taken. As I walked on, my senses of hope and optimism proved far more fragile than I ever thought they were, and they shattered in pieces around me, cutting my feet as I walked. But for all the photographs I saw that day, there was this one that still slips unbidden into my thoughts most often. It's a piece called The Struggling Girl. Even though the child in the photograph is a boy, a young Sudanese boy, no older than three or four. In the photograph, you see that hunger has eaten his limbs away to almost nothing, and he has fallen with his face on the ground helpless and alone except for a vulture two yards behind him, just waiting. 
When the photograph was published in the New York Times in 1993, the photographer, a man named Jim Carter, was widely criticized for taking this photo and for not reaching out and actually helping the child, for picking him up and helping him find food and letting him know that he wasn't alone. But Carter would admit that they were instructed not to touch the children for fear of diseases. Carter became so overwhelmed by the trauma of that experience. The helplessness of the famine and the war that he'd witnessed in Sudan, that four months after receiving the Pulitzer for that photograph, he took his own life. In my whole life, I have never felt as helpless as I did looking at that photograph and reading that story. It was my job, my vocation, to imagine hope, to preach hope, to trust in hope. But in that moment, I realized that until we've looked that kind of hopelessness square in its eye, the nothing we have to say about hope will be worth a damn. Of course, I thought of this story this week. It's the first week in Advent, the season where we learn to wait expectantly and actively for Christ to be born into this world. We wait for the birth of peace, joy, love, and hope. This is the week we talk about hope. My favorite image from hope comes from the late professor of pastoral care at Bright Divinity, a man whose name was Dr. Andrew Lester. And he wrote that hope could be best understood in the language of story. He asserts that each of us are living a story, responding in the present to some kind of perceived narrative trajectory of the past. But it's not just that. We don't often think about the fact that we're also living in the present in response to a perceived narrative trajectory of the future. In other words, we each have a future story, a next chapter that we anticipate living into. We have an imagination for what might be coming tomorrow and the next day uh, and the next week and the next year. And if this imagined story that we're living into is good, then we have hope. If it's not, then we have despair. And of course, as with any story we tell, there's always the question of whether it's true. Are we really living the story that we thought we were living? Are we actually as helpless in the face of it as we thought we were? And typically, especially on the first Sunday of Advent, it's the pastor's job to ask these questions, to help us reimagine our future in light of God's story, God's redemptive imagination. We draw a kind, the kind of future that God imagines and say, in the words of Jason Robert Brown, I know it's dark right now, but just believe somehow that soon there will be light. But today I have to ask a different kind of question. In some ways it's a question that we're more primed to answer this year than maybe ever before in our lifetimes. It's a question that that Sudanese boy will not let me ignore. Could our idea of hope be entirely empty? 
when we're talking about hope, I can think of two different kinds of hope. On one hand, there's the conservative Christian kind of hope. It's a hope in the deus ex machina. It's the hope that if we just ask the right way with enough faith in our hearts, with enough trust that God will fix our problems, that God will heal diseases and right wrongs, God will just crash in and everything will be all right. But the problem is I've seen far too many desperate prayers go unanswered to believe in this kind of hope. On the other hand, there's the kind of naive hope. It's the hope that road-weary activists tend to call liberal idealism. It's the kind of hope that claims that if we just love one another, if we are just kind to one another, if we go vote, then things will get better and everything will be all right. The problem here is, I have seen too many liberals, myself included, too paralyzed by the comforts of the system that we're in, too segregated from those that they claim to love and serve to make any kind of meaningful difference. Both of these hopes, when you think about it, have merit. There is wisdom to recognizing what's beyond your control. And there is wisdom in recognizing the power of kindness to bring out the best in people. Both are important and both have their place. But when it comes to the full depth of human suffering, both are insufficient. For me, both kinds of hope shattered in the face of the pain that I saw that day in the museum. Both were exposed for what they were, different kinds of escapism, vain beliefs that everything is going to be okay, maintained only by a buffer of privilege. The truth is things are not always going to be okay. The truth is for far too many, it is just the reality that they will live and die in poverty and pain with no hope to speak of. For many of us, this year has shown just how fragile what we call hope can really be. So this year, especially, I have to ask, could our idea of hope be entirely empty? Maybe, probably, but here's the thing. These cheap hopes do not discount the existence of true hope any more than cheap romance novels discount the existence of true love. The truth is real hope, just like real love, has a higher cost. And to look at that cost To understand that kind of hope, we have to turn to the Christ story. If they were awarding Pulitzers for photography in the first century, and a photographer managed to snap a picture of Christ as a child, what do you think they would have captured? The iconographers would have us believe that we'd see a serene and regal child sitting in the lap of his straight-faced and haloed mother. But honestly, I think we ought to be skeptical. 
Is this really the image of a child born so poor that his place, his birth took place in a stable alongside the livestock? Is this really the image of a child born into a nation so shadowed by an imperial superpower that anyone who dared speak a word of resistance was crucified? With respect to the iconographers, I think Christ would have looked far more like those children from Vietnam or from Sudan. Children born into poverty, pain, and hopelessness. And yet, and yet the Christ story is somehow a story of unparalleled hope. The Christ story is not a story about resignation or about depression, but it's one of a man holding lepers in his arms, preaching relentless liberation, and marching boldly towards a Roman cross, holding his executioners in his heart. How is this possible? Andrew Lester told us that when we looked into our imagined future stories and see only pain, that we are paralyzed by despair. But in the Christ story, I think that we see that that's not the whole picture. In the Christ story, we see that when we are hopeless and we have the courage to really look that despair in the eye, the courage not to look away, then we have not a limitation, but a superpower. And that's desperation. The story of Christ is the story of one who looked deeply into his hopelessness and the hopelessness of the nation around him, who looked into a future that ended unavoidably in pain and in death. And he let it set him free. It set him free to do things that most of us would never find the courage to do, to love people that most of us never find the courage to love to work for a future that went beyond his own life. He became, in the words often attributed to Oscar Romero, the prophet of a future not his own. Seeing no hope, in his desperation, he died to himself. And he let the God in him run loose in this world. This is real hope earned hope. It is a hope that can only be found along the honest road of hopelessness. If we want real hope, hope that is lasting and that is not fragile, it can only be found by looking deeply at hopelessness, by walking through the gallery of human suffering and sitting and waiting. This kind of hope can only come through the recognition that 10,000 children will die of hunger and preventable causes today. It can only come through meaningful contact with the countless children in the United States who will be denied quality education, who will be denied quality employment, who will be sentenced to a life of suspicion and violence for having had the audacity to be born poor. 
It can only come from opening our hearts to the 2,203 people in the United States, mostly people of color, who died yesterday of COVID-19. Having faced the decision either to go to a job that offered no protection or come home to an eviction notice tacked to their door. This kind of hope can only come from an honest acceptance of the now unstoppable effects of climate change, which call into question the very survival of our species. Hope, real and lasting hope, can never come from easy answers, can never come from escapism, can never come from naive idealism, Hope comes from a journey into the very heart of hopelessness itself. It comes from the hopelessness of Christ, which does give birth to despair. But then that despair gives birth to desperation. And in that desperation, there is the total freedom to do what we have to do. To allow God to live through you, to become the prophet of a future, not your own, the future of a new heaven and a new earth. This hope through hopelessness, life through a cross, it sounds like foolishness to all who are perishing, but to those being saved, it is the very power and wisdom of God. So, people of God. On this Sunday of hope, as we journey through the darkness, waiting for the light, may we be always dissatisfied with hope that is empty or fragile. May we be dissatisfied with any hope that is threatened by suffering. May we have the courage to embrace the hopelessness of Christ, looking deeply at that from which we would rather look away or explain away so that we might find the true desperation, the liberation, the freedom and life of Christ. May we live resurrected lives in the service of a kingdom greater than ourselves. Amen. Come, friends, and let us sit with truth. Let us listen to her wisdom, uncomfortable though it may be, because in her courage we are set free. We are of the nature to grow old. From old age there is no hope of escape. We are of the nature to grow ill. From sickness there is no hope of escape. We are of the nature to die sooner or later. From death there is no hope of escape. We are of the nature to change. All that is dear to us, all that we love will fade. From separation, from loss, there is no hope of escape. We are of the nature to be held accountable for the consequences of our lives. From justice, there is no hope of escape. Come, friends, let us sit with truth. Let us listen to her wisdom, uncomfortable though it may be. She shatters our hopes, fragile and frail, which were never real hopes to begin with. But if we can endure the pain, 
If we can keep company with the stillness and the silence and the embrace of the unembraceable, then what remains is no cheap escape, no empty idealism, no lasting despair, but freedom. What remains is the pure freedom to truly live, planting seeds that one day will grow. What remains is a willingness to yield to the sufferings of the present so that a new future may be born. What remains is hope. Come friends, let us sit with truth, because in her courage we are set free. Amen. Amen. Amen.